This is a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio. Hello and welcome to Plato's Cave, a Triple R film criticism show and podcast. My name is Thomas Cordwell. I'm joined tonight by Cerise Howard and Emma Westwood. And we have a special guest host, Lisa Kovakovic. How do I go, Lisa? We all, we all we all knew I was going to get that wrong. Kovakovic? No? no, have another go. No, don't. <laughs> We could, be, after a while. could be here all night. Don't do that to me or the listeners. No, it's Kovacevic. Oh, my God. Okay, I, sp- I spelled it. Yeah, right. I, yeah. There were two. I, I explained this to you before. There are two pronunciations on uh, online that yes. I listened to, and I picked the wrong one. So, you Lisa Kovacevic. I, I apologise. Lisa <laughs> is a film and television writer, producer, and art director. She also works behind the scenes here at Triple R, as well as being an occasional broadcaster. You may have heard her most recently, a month or so ago, on the Monday midday show Room with a View. Uh, Lisa, I'm thrilled that one of your occasional broadcasting spots is going to be on Plato's K for the next four weeks. Me too. Thank you Yay. for having me. By the end of by the end of the four weeks, I'll probably get your name correct. Yes, let's hope. Vaguely, in the, oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> what, right. what a way to start. I, it's like a filmmaker's name. It's like a European filmmaker's name. I thought you would get it, or a tennis player's name, I suppose, more yeah. likely. Yeah. Yeah. Look, <laughs> consider it a badge of honour. I mean, I've, I've butchered some amazingly well-respected people's names. <laughs> Uh, Thank you. I'm <laughs> well, honest. All of them Eastern European filmmakers. Yes, yeah. <laughs> it's shocking. Let's let, let's just and stay. tennis players. We talk a lot about them yes. on this show. Yeah. <laughs> all right. On tonight's show, the latest Marvel superhero film, Thor Ragnarok, and one of the hits of this year's Sundance Film Festival, Brigsby Bear. But first, we're going to start off with the Mayovich stories, new and selected. This is the new film written and directed by American filmmaker Noah Baumbach, whose recent films prior to this have included Francis Ha, While We're Young, and Mistress America. Now, along with um, Bong Joon-ho's Okya, the Mayovich stories was one of the high-profile films that caused controversy earlier this year by screening at the Cannes Film Festival, despite heading straight to Netflix, which is uh, the only place most Australians will now get to see it. Like many of Baumbach's films, The Mayovich Stories is a dysfunctional family comedy drama. It's set in New York. Dustin Hoffman plays Harold Mayovich, a successful but never quite as successful as he had hoped to be artist. His adult children, Danny, played by Adam Sandler, Matthew, played by Ben Stiller, and Jean, played by Elizabeth Marvel, still struggle to reconcile their love for him with various resentments that come from living in his shadow. Emma Thompson stars as Maureen, Harold's current wife. Who wants to kick things off with the Maverick stories? Yeah, Emma what does. did what did we Emma does. <laughs> Sure. <laughs> well, I, I, I don't I actually I don't know about the current lineup of hosts, but there hasn't always been a huge amount of love for Noah Baumbach in Plato's Cave. And I've always been very much somebody who has kind of liked these films but rarely loved them. Francis Ha was a big exception. I really adored that. But, again, not everybody yeah. on the show at the time we discussed that agreed with me. Um, we I, did M- Maggie's Plan last year as well. That wasn't him. Wasn't that him? That Who was Rebecca Miller. 
Oh, you're right. But that kind of school of but New York was, kind of indie hipster of neurotic comedy, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, and the Greta Gerwig connection, that's where I'm Who getting confused. Who is his confused. partner his and partner. frequent collaborator as yes, well. Yes, and yeah. looking forward to seeing her new film, Lady Which is Bird. meant to be the one she's yeah. directed, which is meant to be fantastic. Exactly. I'm yep. looking forward to that. But, um, yeah, this one, I did really... I, I enjoyed this film. I oh, found good. it to be... Uh, um, a jaunty little rollick through a very Jewish uh, New York, very reminiscent of Woody Allen without, well, much more ensemble than, even though Woody Allen, I think, feigns ensemble, he usually, it's very focused on a Woody Allen-esque character, whereas this one was um, not driven by any one character, although uh, Dustin Hoffman as, um, as what was his actual name? I can't Harold. remember. Harold. Harold, yeah. as Harold was. Um, he sort of the He was the anchor. Point. He was the anchor. <laughs> yeah, the anchor, yeah. Yeah, but I don't think he was the one necessarily driving it, although he was brilliant in that, regardless of, uh, any headlines out this week? We're not talking about him personally. We are talking about him in his professional role. Um, I also find it. I think we were talking about this when we were t- talking about Wings. Watching uh, um, uh, Dustin Hoffman now as this, who who was this epitome of youth in The Graduate, who represented youth, who's now playing this elderly curmudgeon basically (laughs) in this film is really quite um, an unusual experience but I think this film really pops from um, the ensemble. There's the strength of the acting. Uh, it really comes through. It really re- it required that. It would have fallen incredibly flat without that. And a lot of talk is made of Adam Sandler doing a dramatic role and how he is great in a dramatic role. He also did this... It reminded me of... Um, I thought he was quite a revelation in Funny People. Can you remember that when that yeah, came out? Yeah, Jada Patel's Funny People. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And he was... Well, ec- the yeah. big one was Punch Drunk Love. Mm. Well, that was his first, yeah. yeah. That was the, the, the drama more mm. than, yeah, the, his anger management film. But, uh, I, yeah, I think that this one, and especially Elizabeth Marvel, who could almost say that she was playing a secondary character as Jean, the sort of mouseish um, sister in it. But she was in some ways the most interesting in the way that she really held held back and you didn't you just got this little bit of her story it was actually presented as a series well the full story the title is what the Mayovich stories new and new and selected new so and selected it is episodic isn't it yes yep. mm. and it actually chooses to you know throw out d- the different characters um stories and hers is one of the last that comes out and is kind of a, a little bit of a shock story when it comes out which i thought was really really well done um so that episodic thing as well is um, has that strange editing. Did you notice that? That where it, ha- it oh, kind of clips the, the end of- um, cuts. Yeah, on, on people screaming essentially. Yeah, yeah, which is great because it kind of worked as like an exclamation mark. I felt or yeah. a punctuation mark. You know, I think that was important because that was emphasizing the episodic nature of it as well and kind of kicking you out of yeah. it and going, okay, now we're going on to something else. It was also quite comedic too. Yes, funny. Yeah, yes, yeah. exactly on the moments mm. that it did. So. Um, I give it a I, I give it a thumbs up. Okay. I'd say I enjoyed this. I I I didn't. Oh, <laughs> I kind of I know. I I read a lot of reviews thinking what have I I've missed something here because because all the reviews loved it. They all praised Sandler, but I think 
when I saw Adam Sandler come onto the screen driving his daughter around trying to find a car park in New York and gradually getting more and more irate and then eventually erupting in his, you know, Adam, Sh- Adam Sandler shtick of, you know, um, I'm a mad man kind of stuff, I thought, oh, God, here we go, another Adam Sandler indie movie vehicle trying to reinvent himself as um, a real serious actor as opposed to, you know, a cross-dressing comedian because dressing up as a woman's hilarious. Um, I just didn't... I just thought I just wasn't buying it and I think I was just being too cynical to be honest because as the film progressed I enjoyed it more and particularly um, when Stiller comes on I, I was in then I was invested in the story and I really I really went with it from there and and like you said I think Jean the sister was the standout performance for me I thought that it was so moving and understated it was mm. it was yeah it was re- really beautiful but yeah it took me a while to get into it and then when I did I actually really liked Adam Sandler I hate to admit which I I usually just despise him. Um, and I think, yeah, he is actually a very talented, gifted, um, you know, serious actor, dra- dramatic actor. Um, so, yeah, I, 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 in the end, I, I came to love it. And I, I, But at the same time, I sort of feel like um, I, it did remind me a lot of Brombach's The Squid and the Whale. And I just mm. sort of thought, which my partner loves that film. And it, it's, a, it's a very similar story. And I just thought that this iteration did brought nothing new to that story. I just thought it, w- it was another version. I don't know that it was particularly better. Um, and, it, you know, it, w- it was a fine film. I thought it was a solid film, but I didn't leave. And I, yes, definitely felt Woody Allen whilst watching it, but I just didn't feel, didn't leave feeling, oh, this was revelatory or new or anything. But, um, yeah, on the whole, it was a solid, I thought it was a solid film. Yeah, the all-star ensemble vibe I got from it was um, Royal Tenenbaums. Yeah. That's what I was with with a, a paterfamilias somehow uh, anchoring the, the ensemble action. But really, uh, I, I never was a huge fan of that film and I really wasn't a huge fan of this one either. I mean, I, it, it, it kept my attention, mostly because the camera was forever trained at sort of just awkward distance to people's heads. So I was forever <laughs> getting just a bit too much of Adam Sandler's face and a bit too much of everyone <laughs> kind of in my face. It was sort of interesting. I thought the framing was actually interesting. It felt a little fresh. It did freshen up the, the vibe of this sort of um, comedy of neurosis, of, of, of New York neurosis. Um, but uh, you know the only the only part of it that I think I'm really going to uh, that's really going to stick with me are the the extraordinary short film within the film the the films made by Adam Sandler's daughter <laughs> yeah. as a film student were hilarious and, and operated at such a different remo- uh, different sensibility and different pace and uh, rhythm to the rest of the film they were they were cut frantically they were quite bonkers <laughs> and quite um, and, and there was actually some joy to be had in the reaction shots of her. Yeah elders in the family watching these really bonkers, sexually explicit student films. I wanted to see more of those. I, I like to think there's a DVD of this film coming out at some point with extras, including a whole lot of um, uh, cut-out uh, That would short, be wise yeah. of them. That yeah. would be wise. Because they, they, they were great. They were wonderfully studenty, weren't they? But, oh, they, they yeah. were. But they had in a, all the best ways, I'll they, say that yeah. with sincerity. Yeah, they yeah. had a lovely manic intensity mm. to them and, and were just a bit um, wrong, and I loved them. Uh, but the rest of the film didn't do a, a tremendous amount for me. Uh, I, I don't mind seeing the likes of Ben Stiller and Adam Sandler play more dramatic roles. Well, let's call them dramatic, I think, these roles. They're, they're still 
played for laughs a bit. Yeah. Watching uh, Ben Stiller and um, Adam Sandler scuffle and wrestle about on the lawn was quite satisfying. <laughs> but I don't know that this film's going to stick with me, really. It, I'm not going to take an awful lot from it. Uh, what it had to say about the art scene in New York was extremely superficial and, and dull, frankly. It's, um, I, that, that just alienated me, actually. just made me want to care less about these people. But... Um, uh, an agreeable way to pass a couple of hours, but I don't think anyone's missing anything by not seeing it on a big screen, frankly. I mean, so it's gone straight to Netflix, so what? I see, a, yeah. It I got a round of a, it got a standing ovation at Cannes, didn't it? Yeah. yeah. And some, yeah. I, know, I know the Adelaide Film Festival have done cinema screenings of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, no, I think it is a pity because I think this is the kind of film that would be very rewarding to see with a big audience. Um, I loved it. I this was a huge revelation for me. I'm not necessarily a big Baumbach fan. I said Francis Hart I really like, but otherwise I've sort of shrugged my shoulders in indifference. And I, uh, it's funny, Lisa, you mentioned Squid and the Whale. I didn't particularly love that film, yeah. and I got an awful lot more out of this one. Mm. And maybe it's because I'm a bit older now that I've seen this, but um, I, I adored the performances. I always have loved Adam Sandler as a dramatic or semi-dramatic actor. and Dramatic. Dramatic. <laughs> um, I remember hearing a story from, it must have been an interview with a friend of his, saying that you know he makes these dumb, goofy comedies back in the day that made an enormous amount of money. And so when he made small indie films, when he just acted, he thought they were failures because they weren't bringing in heaps of money, which is why he kind of stopped doing it. And now he just goofs around. So I... I know, there's something very likeable about Sandler when he's not doing the silly voices thing, and I, I enjoyed it. I, I really enjoyed him in this. I think Ben Stiller, we're more accustomed now to him crossing over into more serious roles, so I, mm. I like that. Mm. Um, yeah, there is there is really no interest in interrogating the art scene at all in this. I think that is just sort of background detail to, to set up the character of the father. And I think that's what I liked. I, I like dysfunctional family stories where there's this sense that it's uh, there's that sense that these are people who do love and care for each other but for decades they've driven each other nuts and they've filled each other with with anxiety and and, and, and resentment and that constantly comes bubbling bubbling out and mm. um again maybe i'm channeling some of my own <laughs> personal experiences but i always like seeing that expressed in cinema in a way that is that is more not always just played for laughs it's a little bit more sincere i mean i, I was quite moved by aspects of this film as well i, I also yeah. found aspects of it um uh, incredibly funny but uh especially towards the end especially adam sandler's character's journey i found quite touching there's one moment which is also one of these very um alarming edits um, when they do lots of strange edits from distant different camera distances on his face and I, I you know I felt mm. that I got that bit of a choked up feeling at that moment I think we are all meant to see something of ourselves in that film I think the co- cross generational thing definitely there was a rapport between Dustin Hoffman's character and the the granddaughter mm. much more than all the, the and that's that cross you know that jump the, the idea that you're more like your grandparents than your parents mm. because your parents are a reaction against the grandparents and then you're a reaction against them. I've mm. never heard that. Yeah. Mm. That I've makes so that. much yeah, sense. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, and my you God. could see that where, <laughs> yeah. you know, so they, they managed to pick out, I, I think, the cross-general relationships. You know, like, you know, Cerise, I get what you mean, that it wasn't, you know, it wasn't um, groundbreaking in any, any way, but it was just thoroughly enjoyable conversational film. 
There we go. Yeah. Very conversational. Yeah, lots of talking. Lots, to- lots of look, talking. look, if you're going to have neurotic Jewish characters in New York, <laughs> it is really hard not to be compared to Woody Allen. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I think this is probably the film that um, Woody Allen fans uh, would like to see rather than the recent Woody Allen fans <laughs> the, the, um, films, I should say. This is better yeah. than nearly all Woody Allen films from the past 20 years, yes. I, I, w- I would argue, mm. with he, a few exceptions. Yeah, yeah, I thought the script was not bad. Like, he has quite an ear for competing family agendas where everyone's sort of talking at each other, but nobody's listening you know and mm. I thought that that played out relatively well but yeah like, like I said for me and as you said there's nothing really new or challenging. I did like that you used the word shtick though we've been talking about the Mayovich the Mayovich stories new and selected it's there it's available on Netflix so easy for you to access if uh, one of us has persuaded you to do so you're listening to Plato's Cave You're listening to a podcast from Community Radio 3RRR in Melbourne, Australia. Thor Ragnarok is the 17th film in the Marvel Cinematic Universe and the third film focused on the adventures of the alien superhero based on the Norse god played by Chris Hemsworth, Thor. This film is Thor's fifth appearance in the franchise after being absent for over two years. So in Thor Ragnarok, Thor's home world Asgard is facing the return of Hela, Thor's vengeful and powerful older sister, played by Kate Blanchett. However, before he can deal with that, he has to escape from another planet where he is being held captive and forced to compete in the Contest of Champions, a sort of intergalactic gladiator competition. Now, not unlike Guardians of the... The Galaxy, Thor Ragnarok is more of a space opera than a superhero film, but its most distinguishing feature is the presence of New Zealand filmmaker Taika Watiti as the film's director, and much of the critical response so far has been praising the film for being an outright comedy and allowing Watiti's distinctive style and sense of humour to shine through. Uh, Watiti's previous films include What We Do in the Shadows and The Hunt for the Wilder People, which was one in particular we absolutely all adored here on the cave so where where are we all coming from with Thor Ragnarok I think I'm probably the only one here who's seen all of these goddamn Marvel films aren't I <laughs> have you seen all 17 yeah uh, I really? see them all on oh, release wow. yeah if, if I wasn't being a critic and getting into them for free I doubt I would have been seeing them all but I'm I go along and I find most of them to be pretty good yeah and occasionally I really love mm. one of them but mostly I'm in the yeah they're pretty good camp um so before I tell you what I thought of this one, I'm really curious to know what you all thought. So I'm guessing you, you've all come to this without necessarily having seen every single goddamn film before it. I, I'm completely uninitiated in the whole Marvel universe, so okay. I probably have no business being here, actually. No, it, me- it means you, you're, you're going to bring a unique perspective. Yeah, exactly. I was a complete blank canvas, but I reckon I came out looking like a colourful Jackson Pollock by the end of it because <laughs> I loved it. I actually, yeah, I got a lot. I really enjoyed it, surprisingly. Yeah. What about you guys? Did you, were you Why did you enjoy it, Lisa? Uh, it was Tell us fun. Why. It was fun. I yeah. just, um, yeah. And from that 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 wonderful Led Zeppelin track that you just played, I uh, from that from the moment that song kicked in, I was like, I'm going with this. It was just <laughs> so much fun. Um, and even though I'd not seen the previous films, I could tell when they were poking fun at the previous films, you know. Um, and and Taika Waititi does a marvelous job of injecting humor wherever possible. I know he didn't write this, but I know that um, that and he usually does write. As he well, does, so, yeah, yeah. But I, I know that they. Um, allowed him to do a lot of improv within scenes and and that's when the film 
film really shines, I feel, like when, when they really the, the actors are really allowed to sort of take it to another place. Mm. Him included, who play, he plays a cameo in it. Um, but I also, yeah, I just think, I think the character, I think Thor as a, as a superhero is a pretty dated superhero. Like he's like this blonde, chiselled, um, you know, godly figure that just doesn't seem to fit. I, I just figure like out... Like Flash Gordon. Totally. Like I just don't think that he fits in the modern world. And I, I, I feel like, and I don't know, but I feel like these Marvel people don't know where he belongs either. And so I felt like Waititi was um, trying to de-thaw him, you know. He was trying to humanise him <laughs> throughout the film um, by poking fun at him half the time, which I thought was brilliant. Um, but, but, but funnily enough, I think that that process of dehumanisation also stripped away what makes him, you know, a superhero. So, so now he's just like some dude with a hammer, you know. Like it was kind of weird, I don't know. But I still went with it and I feel the story itself I don't think, think was that remarkable. I think it was a pretty sort of dull sort of story, but I, it was fun. It was just a lot of energy. I think the, the fight scenes were, were, were epic and the camera movements were wonderful. Um, the soundtrack was brilliant. The the aesthetic was was wonderfully... It sort of reminded me of The Fifth Element or even like a bit spoofy like Spaceballs or something. There was something very <laughs> 80s about it, which I really enjoyed. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. It was in the music as well. That came <clears throat> in. in fact, I would have liked it to have been more of a full-on electronic score and just get mm. rid of the the um, orchestral stuff. Uh, there was, it seemed like it, yes, it felt I'd, like I'd it was hedging that. its yeah. bets a little bit. Like, oh, we don't want to go full throttle in that regard. And we were just talking before that Mark Mothersbaugh, who's from uh, Devo, most people would know him from that, was responsible for scoring this, which I think is his first superhero film, but he's done a lot of other of other films. Mm. Um, and I would have really liked to for them to have let him off the rain, can we say, a little bit more in this. But um, the campness, I mean, I couldn't... I, I haven't been quite excited by the start of a um, superhero film uh, uh, since uh, Flash Gordon opening title sequence with that fabulous Queen song and the, the pulsing title. Can you remember the opening title? Oh, God. To- Flash Gordon, if, are you kidding? Yeah, yeah. yes, exactly. We're, Everyone, we're get, on YouTube. get on YouTube. Get on to YouTube. You need to see it. It's fantastic. It's yeah. so exciting. And well, I, that, that was music of the year too, wasn't it? Yes, it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, mm. yeah. It was the, uh, yes, and mm. the Queen, Queen. Queen did the whole soundtrack, yep. didn't they? Yeah. So this one, um, I think. I I'm pretty sure they did. We'll check that out. Yeah. Someone S- somebody will email us. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> this this film, I enjoyed the campness. I think they could have gone further with it though. Mm. Jeff Goldblum, they kind of only let Jeff Goldblum really embody the camp <laughs> fully, and there was some really nice touches in those scenes with him. I mean, they let him go full Goldblum. I mean, Jeff Goldblum <laughs> just plays Goldblum now, doesn't he? he he's, he's the so- new Christopher Walken, isn't he? Yeah, he, he is. He's, just, he's, he, he's become his own brand and he mm. knows it. He knows mm. it and he's milking it for all it's worth. Good yeah, on him. And, and he's it. having a ball. I love he's it. absolutely yep. having a ball. And there was some beautiful touches in that that gladiatorial scene where um, uh, he takes on Hulk, Thought takes on Hulk. I don't know whether you looked at the art direction of where the Grand Master, which is Jeff Goldblum's character, the booth where he's sitting with Loki and mm. the others. The, have a look at the art direction. It's it's crazy. <laughs> it's like freaking nuts. And I loved it. It was yeah. really exciting. But also I saw this film just, uh, just to finish off my bit, um, in uh, 3D IMAX. And I think that I, I am not going to see another superhero film without it being... 
IMAX 3D from Ooh, now wow, on. Okay. Yeah, I just makes it was, such a it was definitely a post-production yeah. 3D job. Um, so that's intriguing. And yeah, not natural IMAX either. Yeah, and but you I, still I'm enjoyed just, it. I believe sequences oh, yeah, were absolutely. made specifically. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Oh, I stand corrected. Mm. Yep. Yeah, and it was just that that. I, th- I think that now cinema is almost becoming cinema isn't not just one medium anymore. It's a lot of media, and there's the home, the, the, there's the things that work better in a home entertainment environment. There's the stuff that just works better on a standard cinema screen, and then there's the stuff that works really well on IMAX 3D. And mm-hmm. I think the superhero stuff it just takes it to a di- different level. It's big and dumb, and loud and immersive. And that's what you need. I wanted to see this for the Taika Waititi yes. touch. And because I, we probably wouldn't be bothering with this one, would we, otherwise? <laughs> I, I would have been yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, interested. To, to be no. realistic, yeah. yeah, yeah. Mm. I mean, superhero films don't do a ton for me. And even this, as much as I could enjoy some of the laughs, um, it's so... Uh, lightweight, really. It, it, nothing is of consequence whatsoever, really. So <laughs> I just watch it going, whatever. But did, didn't shed a tear during it? Or hell no. <laughs> um, I didn't actually even laugh as much as I m- imagined would, but I was relishing every moment where something Australasian happened. Which yeah. is quite frequent. It was very frequent. Mm. The, the film was littered with Australasians and little nods not just to... Uh, white Australia and white uh, New Zealand, but very much to First Peoples too. There's lots of gags in there. And I, I even wonder whether there's something, whether this was in the original script, but this whole business of there being some uh, uh, a renovation that happened at Asgard sometime on the ceiling of this dome, which mm. is this artwork, which is this uh, myth-making and then eventually myth-demolishing bit of business that suggests a much darker past um, much as, say, Australia and New Zealand mm. have had and that one of those countries, rather more than the other, has gone some way to acknowledge. I thought this was actually interesting. There was some genuine substance to this film. Whether Waititi smuggled a bit of that in or whether that was in the original script? I heard something, some strange know. statistic, like 90%, I don't know how they measure that, 90% of the dialogue was improvised. So, but you're referring to a mural on the ceiling. I, I've heard he mm. had a strong influence on the art direction. He was very upfront yeah. about what he wanted to do. Yep. Yeah, because yeah. this, this, it, it just demolishes the idea that this paradisical place was um, came to be so through uh, gentle means, through mm. a nice uh, colonizing, um, civilized manner, and that's interesting. And there's quite a few. Um, I, I spotted uh, quite a few Maori faces in this film yes. and actors, and, and including some from Waititi's own sort of troupe and then familiar Rachel faces Prince. from. Um, What's her name? Rachel House. Yeah, isn't it? Rachel yeah. House. She's she's been in all of his yeah. films. Yeah, yeah. Yes. she's so great. Mm. Um, uh, Carl Urban had a, a quite. I mean, he's become quite a big Hollywood actor lately too. Mm. But um, he was Judge Dredd. Whatever. And. Uh, <laughs> Cerise loves her yeah. superheroes. Yeah. Dr- Judge Dredd is not technically a superhero, but okay, let's, oh, wow. let's continue. Um, no, but you're right. Waititi was really yeah. proactive. With yeah. he, he wanted Australians and New Zealanders and um, First Peoples in particular working on and off camera. Yeah, I understand he did, did some really wonderful things mm. that I doubt will become common industry practice, but maybe they will at least for more of these productions out of Hollywood. Productions, but wind up being, uh, say, Gold Coast um, practice. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. I, I just, 
I, is, is that utopian or could it could it come to pass that I haven't well, actually uh, seen a film that's credited um, the you know the the original mob the the, the tribe or the mm. the peoples from that land uh, even though there's a lot of films that are made in Australia um, that are international films yep. there's very often there's not that acknowledgement in there whereas this film did have that in the in the in the credits and apparently there was yeah. ceremonies on set before they started filming from the yes. local people and and also from uh, communities from New Zealand came over to, to sort of bless the set, apparently, which is something that, that happens over there that I didn't know about. He also um, uh, uh, requested that there be eight um, attachments from um, Indigenous yeah. Australia um, So because he said that that was an opportunity he was never afforded growing up in New Zealand. Um, and so, yeah, there was like ADs and lighting assistants and they all got the opportunity to work really close with closely with him on set, which I thought was remarkable and wonderful and I felt like the actors like the Australian and New Zealand actors outnumbered the Americans in this film they probably didn't but I just it felt very Australian very colloquial as for a superhero film it felt like it was made for us in a yeah. lot of ways and, and not I really just enjoyed a, that not just the, the joy of seeing these people on screen but hearing, hearing those them. voices <laughs> oh. such distinctive accents especially Waititi's own with his sweet ears bro yeah. 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 <laughs> I, I saw an interview where he just said he loved the idea of an alien who spoke like a Maori bouncer. It yeah. was fantastic. So apparently that, that it's based on a particular bouncer he knew in Auckland who spoke like that. And that, 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 that for me was the... That was some of the best parts of the film when that very kind of dry, nonchalant Kiwi humour really shone through. But look, I, I think I sort of agree with the rest of you in that I wish there was more of that. It still feels very on-brand Marvel. It's still... This is probably the most a director has been let off the reins so far in the series, but it's still very much ticking their four quadrants and the whole kind of state stuff with Kate Blanchett even though she's fabulous in this that whole story which is at the start of the film and the end of the film I could have jettisoned that all together I just like the camp stuff in the arena yeah I agree I wish they pushed the camp I wish they pushed the humor she's a bit um, Michelle Pfeiffer Catwoman though don't you think Thomas yes well shut up (laughs) (laughs) Does Thomas have a thing? Uh, Maybe. That was was an off-air discussion (laughs) about my adolescence and some very important moments. I enjoyed Kate Blanchett. I enjoyed her strut, destroy, strut, repeat, strut, destroy. I liked all that, and I actually, mm. I, I actually preferred that to the Hulk stuff. I was like, oh, "What really? is this Hulk stuff in the middle of this film?" It was such a divergent um, storyline. I was like, "What? What's happening back in the hometown?" I thought you, that was. You strange. don't think he belongs in a Norse mythological <laughs> realm? <laughs> really? Well, I did. I did enjoy his. Um, I think it was Tony, Tony Stark's gear, the um, the Duran Duran Rio T-shirt under the suit, which was, you know, that 80s look that was very cool. Oh, and when um, Bruce Banner loses all his clothes and has to wear yes, Tony yes, Stark's clothes, yes. yeah. It, it, is, it is a weirdly structured film. It really mm. is f- film A begins, and then we have film B in the middle, and then we conclude film A at, at, at the end. Totally, it's, yeah. it's, 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 it's a funny one like that, but um, look, I, I did enjoy this. I, I'm not part of the kind of critical mass that is going nuts for this film. I preferred Guardians of the Galaxy. I think in terms of that kind of campy space opera shtick, I thought that film was a lot better. But um, 
I'm also very excited to see a director of the caliber as um, as Taika Watiti get a project like this, and he has brought himself. It's not like he's been destroyed; he's made the project better. How many times do you see these wonderful directors kind of get swallowed up and diluted by Hollywood? This seems to have, the opposite seems to have, has, has happened. His spirit has infused this film and hopefully it will permeate into the rest of the industry. Mm. So if nothing else, I think this is sort of a very significant film in, in contemporary filmmaking and so I mm. sort of celebrate that fact. Absolutely. Yeah. Fingers I mean, crossed that that happens, that, that this is the start of something different. Yep. Well, also, I gather he's going to do a, what we do in the shadows sequel. I think that's just been announced. So, yeah, that's very exciting that he's not necessarily going to keep in the Hollywood machine and you know go for the next great. Uh, superhero film on the conveyor belt and grab it, but keep it a bit real, mm. as yeah. real as werewolves ever are. Anyway, I, I don't. <laughs> but apparently, the sequel is going to be based on the werewolves. Yes, I believe. So. I believe it's to be called Were Were Wolves. <laughs> yeah. He is, yeah. He's also gonna, he's he's also apparently going to be doing the Akira live action film, which is odd because right. that's not a film, that's not a property that screams moments of humour. Insert here. So, mm. be curious to see what he does with material like that. Anyway, I'm glad he's having a great career because he, he he deserves it. Mm. Mm. We've been talking about Thor Ragnarok here on Plato's Cave. You're listening to Three Triple R. Three Triple R. Rigsby Bear is an American comedy drama directed by Dave McCary, who until now is probably best known as a segment director for Saturday Night Live. The film is written by McCary's high school friends, Carl Mooney and Kevin Costello. And Carl Mooney, who also works on Saturday Night Live as one of the cast members, plays James Pope, the film's lead character. Other notable cast members include Mark Hamill, Greg Kinnear and Claire Danes. Now, the very general idea behind uh, Brigsby Bear is that Kyle grew up obsessed with this kid's television show titled Brigsby Bear. And now that he's thrust into an unfamiliar situation as an adult, he has become fixated on concluding the show's story by making his own Brigsby Bear feature film. This puts a strain on the lives of the people who know him, many of whom aren't sure if encouraging this fixation is a good idea or not. So, Brigsby Bear, American uh, indie film that got quite wide distribution by Sony after the Sundance Film Festival, is a somewhat tricky film to talk about because there is a major plot development that happens only in the first 20 minutes. But um, when the film was originally screened at Sundance and promoted, they wanted to keep it secret. And I went in not knowing about this, and I think my experience of watching it was the richer for that. Yeah, we don't want to agree. We don't want to wreck it for people. So, I think we should be a bit careful how we talk about this. But I'm curious to know, I, I, this is, it's the first time this has happened in a really long time where my expectations going in were radically different to how I came out. I really enjoyed this film and I went in expecting to hate it because, well, you heard us play that cheesy theme song, you've heard the description. <laughs> I thought it was going to be a hipster, cutesy, whimsical twee fest and I thought I was going to want to stab the film in the eyes. <laughs> yeah. um, and myself, rather. It could have really easily have been that. I know what you mean. It and, and sounds so obnoxiously twee on paper, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, it does. <laughs> and it, it looks does. that way in the in the pro, in the trailer yep. as well. Yeah, because they are careful, I think, to, totally. to not reveal the kind of the, the 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 main idea behind the film, which you have to. Yeah. yeah, which kicks in only about twenty minutes in, but I think we still need to dance around it. I think the SNL angle's interesting because it's um, <coughs> while that you know that 
charming theme song we just played is is you know comical and funny it doesn't it doesn't lean on the humor in a way that you could but by hearing their credits you could expect it to it's um it plays down the the humor quite a bit like there's moments that are amusing but it's definitely not a sketch comedy type i don't know it's not like jim carrey's gonna walk in in the dumb and dumber sort of fashion um well even um what's his name annie sandberg has a small cameo yes he does but again it's not played for laughs no not at not at all um yeah that was that was really interesting seeing him um and seeing how much greg kinnear can look like mark hamill did you notice that eerie that was really (laughs) eerie yes and between them they both look like eddie is so I was getting very confused. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, yeah. especially Mark Hamill in costume in certain scenes. Yeah, <laughs> very Eddie Izzard. Wow. Yeah. But this this film managed rather than take go for the twee, it managed to um, combine a level of sweetness with utter creepiness in in equal measures. And I think that. Um, uh, Kyle Mooney, who mm. plays um, the character of James, is uh, could have been he, he it really hinges on here. He could have taken it into the twee. He could have taken it into the twee and beyond with it, mm. the way he played that role. But he managed to play a man child really in a um, totally believable, subtle fashion. He didn't overplay it, and he created quite a unique character, even in his uh, responses to his situation may I say, without yep. revealing anything. Mm. Yeah, it's uh, and it's sort of ultimately a, this sort of coming-of-age story, really, even though he's, yeah, you know, th- this older th- man. Um, God, it's very difficult to talk about this film without <laughs> giving it away. Um, but I agree with you. His performance, I think, is one of the best I've seen in such a long time. He doesn't mock the character. He doesn't play it for laughs. Um, you know, it's, it's deeply sincere, but there's also a... a a comedy and a humour to him, but but like a knowing humour um, in, in his performance, which I really appreciated. And it's his enthusiasm. So the film is about, in, in some ways, um, the way generations of kids are raised on pop culture, I, th- I think, anyway, um, and perhaps not for the best, you know. Um, but he has this sort of infectious ability to make you love this Brigsby character the way that he does. I think not just for the characters in the film that surround him, but for you, the viewer as well you get to sort of share in that enthusiasm for this this pop culture pop culture icon that is his own um and it's funny i thought there was this sort of irony in the way that he has to sort of escape from his childhood from his brigsby bear um, infused childhood by recreating the fi- a film so he wants to finish the story of brigsby bear because he can't get a hold of any more episodes so he wants to create this film um, where he can conclude the story but it's also it's about him sort of you know, putting a, a full stop on his childhood and entering adulthood, um, and I, and I thought that they they handled that really well because it's like the pop culture. There's this opening scene of him watching Brigsby Bear in his room alone, and it's sad and it's lonely and it's poignant. Um, but then, then by the end of the film, it's it's that TV show that saves him as well. You know, it's interesting you, the way you put that because I think there's one line when you realise it's the moment when he grows up when mm. he's there is an audience is meant to see his Brigsby Bear film and he says, but what if they don't 
don't like it. Yeah. And all of a sudden it's not about just him. It's not about the the audience of one. It's about appealing to other people yeah. as well. Yeah, and there's a similar moment where he's making the film with his newfound friends and he sort of looks at them. They're out in a field in the middle of nowhere. There's about four of them. And he sort of says, oh, this is what life's about. It's about making a movie with your friends. And I thought it was beautiful because he's finally understanding con- or finally fi- finding connection with other human beings. Um, but sadly, it's still in the context of the show because it's about mm. being with your friends and making the film about Brixby Bear, but, you know. But having, having a shared connection around a mutual love, love of pop culture and he's able to introduce them to that. I, I, it, it, it is a very interesting examination as, as well as many other things about how we how we re- relate to, to popular culture. And I think this film shows us both extremes, how it can be all-consuming, but how it does actually bring people together. together and, yeah. and loving this stuff is absolutely fine and can help us resolve things. Yeah, and find like-minded people. Yeah. I got a similar vibe uh, to Lars and the Real Girl, a um, mm. film in which uh, oh, sort call. of a man-child needs to be sort of humoured uh, in order to fit in somehow everyone's very actually keen to be accommodating some more than others and, and that's played out in this film very much there 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 are people who are immediately on team brigsby and others who are resistant but it's, it's, it's something there's that certain sensibility there's a real i mean it is a funny film i mean for as much as we might be suggesting there are undercurrents and there certainly are in this film I, I laughed like a drain throughout this episode. Really? Yeah, yeah. I, really I didn't did. as much. Mm, I no. did. and But I also felt genuinely heartwarmed. The film, mm. and I felt the film had won that. It had earned it. It um, it, it deserved uh, to, to move me, and, and, and it did. It was, it's such a sweet film. And I, I know what you're all saying about feeling uh, somehow as... Uh, as if the film we all saw wasn't at all the one we were expecting and that actually we went in with low expectations because that trailer does make it out to seem really twee. They've almost been too careful Mm. to uh, avoid giving anything away and in in the process made something that just looks like it's going to be a bit crap. Um, But this is a wonderful film. It was Mm. so wonderful. It's so nice to see a film that's just joyous. Like it felt joyous for for 90% of the film I was smiling. I I enjoyed it so much. I don't think I've enjoyed a film like that in a long time. It's a nice little fable about never losing sight of who you are and what makes you happy and especially if you're a creative person mm-hmm. uh, being true to that creative impulse mm-hmm. and and yep. continuing even in adulthood in making things no matter how frivolous uh, or uh, potentially pointless uh, an exercise that might be that you know you mightn't lead to riches or fame but you just got to make things out of stuff it's important if that's how you're you're built go forth and and build things yourself i look i, I absolutely adored it as well and i, I when it finished i just thought to myself thank god i went to see this because i probably wouldn't have if we weren't covering it tonight <laughs> and i'm yeah, so pleased i saw this film and it occurred to me about halfway through um i mean let's say it's an outsider narrative it's him in a very unfamiliar situation and it was the scene at the party and i suddenly realized they're not going for cringe comedy they're mm. not setting him up to be embarrassed or humiliated or or him being accidentally horrible to people it's actually really kind humor and um there were moments in that that were funny, but I actually found the tone for me was mostly quite melancholic. That's what I felt. Yeah, too. but yeah. in a really lovely, warm, sincere way. I, I I very quickly trusted this film to do right by the characters and therefore by me. I was very kind of vulnerable and tender by the yeah. end of it. Um, That's why I think I found it so funny because the laughs were genuine. Yeah. Yes, they, they, they yeah. were related to actual people and and pathos. We were laughing was, yeah. with them, weren't yeah. we? Yeah, we were, yeah very we much. Laughing so. at them. Yeah. yeah, even he got the joke at times. You know, when people were sort of making 
make fun of him, he'd be like, oh, you know, he'd sort of steer it away towards his his knowing, even though he's very much this man-child, which I thought that was really sympathetic. And I also thought that all the actors had a good chance to sort of uh, explore some sort of emotional depth, like his parents siblings you know I thought even if the parts were small they gave them a little bit of meat for each of those actors even Greg Kinnear's character Mark Hamill who was an inspired um, casting decision I thought being that he was he's part of that fandom world uh, you know being from Star Wars and I I thought that was excellent Mm -hmm. I'm really glad we liked that (laughs) (laughs) Brigsby Bear is the film we have just been discussing that is on limited release courtesy of Sony Pictures tonight we also talked about the Mayovich stories new and selected is available on Netflix and Thor Ragnarok is on wide release <laughs> courtesy of the Walt Disney Company. You've been listening to Thomas Cerise, Emma and Lisa. Lisa, thank you so much for oh, being on board tonight. Thank you. I feel honoured. Thanks, everyone. Well, we hope you come <laughs> back for the, 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 the next for, for the rest of the shows this month. Shall do. Excellent. The podcast version of the show is edited by Faith Everard. This has been a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.